Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. So one of them is templates, which is to speed up creating new podcast episodes. You make the first episode and then you can turn that into a template. You strip out the bits that are specific to that episode and keep things like the theme tune and so on that you want to retain from episode to episode. You can add placeholders, which these are for the metadata, so stuff like the title and so on, and the links, even the file name, which is new. So you can go in and add little placeholders for things like the episode number, or the date and set their format and they will automatically be filled in when you create a new episode. Welcome to this very special edition of iPad Pros. As many of you know, Ferret Recording Studio is the app that I use to produce this podcast and many others. Well, version 2 of Ferret is now available and I had the privilege of speaking with Canis, the developer of Ferret, about his application and the new features now available as part of the 2.0 update. We dive into the origins of the app, how it's progressed over the years, and everything that you can expect with this 2.0 update now available. As a quick reminder, you can support the podcast on patreon.com slash iPadPros. Without further ado, here's my interview with Canis. Enjoy. I'm here today with Canis, the developer behind Ferrite Recording Studio. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for quite a bit here. Uh, you create the app I use day in, day out to do my day job and produce this podcast. So thank you for creating this first off. That's great to hear that you're finding it useful. So can you first introduce yourself and what Ferrite is? I'm Canis. I started Juice about a decade ago. We mostly make iPad apps and iOS apps in general. Ferrite specifically is an audio editing package. We actually have a couple of those. Ferrite is more of a audio desktop publishing is how I think of it. Rather than sort of tinkering around with the waveforms itself in a very detailed way, it's much more about putting it together to make a package, something like radio journalism or a podcast or audiobook production, all of those sorts of things, very much focused on spoken word rather than music, long form, so it can cope with very long amounts of audio hours if necessary. Gotcha. And before we dive more into Ferret itself, what role does the iPad play in your own life? I tend to use the iPad instead of a laptop. I don't think I've switched my laptop on for years probably at this point. I think it's still <laughs> sitting there with its little uh, white breathing light glowing on and off because it's one of the old ones that still has those. But no, I just use the iPad generally for all the sorts of things you use a laptop for. So checking email and sort of checking social networking and things like that. And it's also been useful in audio work more generally because I've also made video games. I use it for producing soundtracks and sound effects for video games as well. And that's kind of how I ended up starting to make iOS audio apps because I needed a way to make sound effects for my games. And so that's one of the ways that I got into this. Oh, very cool. What platforms have you released games on? I'm just kind of curious. Just me. I've um, released you know, iOS games. In a previous life, I released games for PC, PlayStation 2. I contributed to PlayStation uh, Portable games, stuff that came out on Xbox and GameCube, I think. I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time. Wow. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> bit of bed for those, yeah. I spent about a decade in the games industry uh, on various cross-platform projects, and I forget now 
exactly where it all came out. So where does the name Ferrite actually come from? It mostly comes from me not being very good at thinking up names for projects. <laughs> <laughs> the code name for the project was Ceramic because of reasons to do with color schemes and not needing to put something down so that I could start work. When I was actually trying to come up with a, a proper name for it, Ferrite as a word has a number of meanings and some of them are ceramics. It's also used a lot in various things to do with recording. So um, things like the tape that you used to get in reel-to-reel cassette recorders and things like that used ferrite in them and you get little things that clip onto cables that reduce the noise on them and those are called ferrite beads and so it just keeps cropping up in yeah. various situations to do with recording and I just sort of went with it because I was tired of trying to think up other names that hadn't been used. Yeah, it's a, a unique name for sure, it stands out. thing is, after a while, it kind of doesn't matter when you think about some of the the products that we use every day and the way that when the names were first announced and people were like, that can't be the real name, you know, like <laughs> the iPad or the, if you think about the Nintendo Wii and sort of the jokes that people made. And now we just don't think about it. After a while, the association with what the actual app or product is sort of takes over. Yeah, exactly. So what was your original goal in creating Ferrite? Like the 1.0 version, what did you set out to do? As I mentioned before, I've made other audio apps. And one of them is an app called Hawksay, which is a, a wave editor that, if Ferrite is the desktop publishing app for audio, that's much more of the sort of Photoshop Pixelmator style app for audio. It's much more about manipulating the audio in very complicated, layered ways that you would use for making sound effects for games. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, sound effects for games are very short pieces of audio you might pick up a coin and it makes a little ding noise and it's just a fraction of a second long and people were trying to re record audiobooks into it and that didn't go well because it's just not what it was designed for over time i was getting emails from people trying to use it for things it wasn't designed for and i thought maybe i should actually make something that is designed for it thinking about making you know, a door as the daw is the sort of generic term for this kind of app that manipulates audio this way and i was thinking about making a door for the ipad focusing on podcasting and journalism and spoken word stuff allowed me to carve out a section of that that would be manageable and useful it's certainly become kind of the go-to application to do this with well that's always good to hear yeah <laughs> <laughs> for those unfamiliar with kind of the development over the years we're uh, 2.0 kind of launches today. That's when this episode is being released. But for those unfamiliar with uh, its kind of progression, what kind of features were added over uh, over the years? I'm not sure how long this app's actually been around. It has been about three years now. Yeah, pretty close to many, many features. I'm, I'm not sure where to start. I suppose big features like auto-leveling, which sort of automatically smooths out the volume levels across the entire finished piece when you export it. MP3 support and MP3 chapters, which are very popular in podcasting. Apple Pencil editing support. So uh, normally an Apple Pencil is treated the exact same way as another finger but if you switch this on you can use special gestures for editing with the pencil there's a whole sort of customizable shortcut bar normally ferrite's philosophy is to keep the screen very uncluttered but if you do want to have lots of buttons quickly available you can switch that on and completely customize the layout of the buttons. There's been a lot of enhancements to keyboard shortcuts, things like alternate keyboards, shortcut schemes for people who may be used to other software packages. 
as well as being able to completely define your own, which is something I don't think I've actually heard of in any other iPad app. There may be others out there that do it, but you can completely go through and just set exactly what keys you want to suit your own preferred way of working. Drag and drop was a big feature last year when that came in for iOS 11, which is pretty useful for importing audio because it's a much easier way to bring in more than one piece of audio at once. And also you can use it for creating chapters because you can drag and drop links from Safari straight in to the timeline and that will set that link and the title of that link as the chapter marker there. Titan Audio, if you're used to features in podcast players that sort of edit out the silence and make everything flow a bit more quickly, it's a little bit like that on the editing side. Yeah, that's a huge one for me as an editor. It just saves so much time. The strip silence and Titan combination is just really powerful. That's the sort of thing that sets it apart from a music editor where that's really not something that you would do. No, because you want silence and music at times. <laughs> <laughs> of course. The pacing's very important, the, whole, the tempo. Yeah. There's been a few other things as well, things like uh, mid-side decoding, which is a, a feature for people using certain kinds of field recorders. It uh, sort of, they don't record stereo the way that you would expect. They have a, a different format and it kind of decodes that format for playback. So yeah, quite a few more professional features have been added over the years. Yeah. And it's it's shown it's really become a very mature application. So 2.0 comes out today and I've been using the beta and I've been really impressed with it. Thanks. Absolutely. Can you kind of overview what are the big new features that you've been working on for this? Yeah, so they're kind of focused in a few key areas. So one of them is templates, which is to speed up creating new podcast episodes, or not necessarily podcasts, but that's an obvious use. But anywhere that you're producing episodes in a series, you make the first episode, and then you can turn that into a template. You strip out the bits that are specific to that episode and keep things like the theme tune and so on that you want to retain from episode to episode. You can add placeholders, which these are for the metadata, so stuff like the title and so on, and the links, even the file name, which is new. So you can go in and add little placeholders for things like the episode number or the date and set their format and they will automatically be filled in when you create a new episode. Gotcha. Yeah, and the artwork as well is another... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Any tips for making the most out of templates? One thing you can do is if you have blank tracks set up and you have them set up with things like effects and levels just the way you want them. For instance, if you're always doing a podcast with, say, two people and it's you and a co-host... You can set up, say, track one just the way that you want it and track two just the way you want it for your co-host. And then if you always select the recording files in the library in that order and then create the episode, their audio will automatically be added to their tracks in that order. So that can save a little time. Something else that's been enhanced a lot in Ferrite 2 is presets. So one of the things that you can do is actually save presets inside of a template because one of the things about the template system in Ferrite is that when you create an episode from a template, the episode remembers that fact and remembers that it is an episode of that podcast. When you save a preset, and by preset I'm talking about things like chapters, settings for the various features like Strip Silence and Titan Audio, you can actually save those back to the template. Podcasts or episodes in general made from that template can use them. If you end up having more than one 
podcast. I know some people have edit like a ridiculous number of podcasts yeah. <laughs> because some of them are just very busy broadcasters and some of them work as a production service for other podcasters. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of podcasts to edit. It allows you to file all of the presets and other stuff that you need for each project in the template so that when you go to create a new episode of, say, iPad Pros, all the iPad Pros settings are right there at the top of the list when you go to pick a preset. What's the process for actually saving the preset? Is that an automatic thing or is it something you're configuring this preset and hitting save somewhere in the interface? I've been able to add uh, presets for quite a while now. So the basic principle is unchanged. Hit the presets button. There's a plus button up in the corner of that panel. You just tap that to save the preset. You give it a name. What's new is that if you have the Ferrite 2 upgrade, you can set the destination. And the default is the same as before, which is just to save it on your iPad. But you can also now change that to save it to the current template if you're editing an episode made from one. Or you can also save to iCloud now, which will sync across all of your devices. As far as syncing, the presets that syncs, is that the only thing that currently syncs between the different instances of Ferrite across your devices? Yeah, currently that is the only thing that syncs. There's a few reasons for that. One is the audio files can be very, very large and could easily take up all of your space in iCloud. (laughs) Yes. It's something I'm interested in adding the option to do later in the future, but there's quite a lot of complex issues around that. For example, project relies on audio. So you don't want to say have it sync a project but not have yet synced the audio and then have it look like the project's ready to use but it isn't because the audio hasn't arrived yet and there's a lot of faff involved in that and so currently that's not supported. Also because the file format of ferrite projects has a number of properties that are pretty useful like the fact that it remembers undo and redo even after you've closed the project but they don't currently play nicely with iCloud. I have some ideas for resolving that in the future somewhere. Again, (laughs) no promises, just (laughs) ideas. Currently, that's not supported. There's several reasons why I've added support for syncing presets, but one of them is to get sync up and running and working on something that's less critical than your projects, if you see what I mean. So a lot of people, when they first add sync, find that they run into problems. And so I was thinking, what's the smallest thing that I can sync just to get everything working? And then we can think about possibly rolling out other stuff in future. Understood. So something that was available in 1.0, but not as robust as it is now, is the multi-channel support. What was the 1.0 implementation of multi-channel and how is it different with 2.0? Okay, so just to clarify for your uh, your audience, I mean, we'll, when we say multi-channel here, what we're talking about is mono and stereo and more channels than that. This is separate from the idea of multi-track, where Ferrite has always supported up to 32 tracks. Uh, the exact number depends on your device. If you're using a very, very old device, it might be less than that. But in general, up to 32 tracks, mm-hmm. and each of those can be edited separately. Now, multi-channel is where a single file has more than one. The standard example is a stereo file where you've got the left and the right channel. And now Ferrite 1 only supports either mono or stereo files. And this isn't normally a huge problem because no one's editing podcasts in Dolby (laughs) (laughs) 5.1. Yeah, that's just not a thing. Because of that, you still don't do 5.1 editing or anything like that, or, you know, surround sound or Dolby Atmos or anything in Ferrite 2. No, often you'll do mono exports because you get better sound quality for the file size. Exactly. Yeah. 
But what you might do, you might have a single recording with more channels than that in it because it came from a hardware recorder or some other device that was used to record, say, four or eight microphones at once if you're doing something like an in-person recording. It's very common for people to record podcasts the way we're doing it now using Skype. Sometimes people do get together in person to record podcasts or they're traveling and at a convention. It's quite often during convention season for a spate of podcasts to all have their live and in-person episodes, particularly around WWDC or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Often what people would do then is use a little hardware recorder that has some kind of compact flash or other memory card recording facilities, but it will have more than two microphone inputs. Sometimes the files that come out of those can have, you know, it'll be a single WAV file, but it'll have four or eight channels in it. And so now in Ferrite 2, you can split those off into separate files so that you can edit them individually so that if there's crosstalk you know if people are talking over each other you can fix that because they're now split out separate tracks you can also do simpler things like if you've accidentally got left and right stereo swapped you can unswap them if you accidentally recorded in stereo but actually only had one microphone plugged in and there's just nothing or hum or something on the second track you can drop that and Stuff like that, basically. Yeah, and it's uh, it's very intuitive interface. The whole audio clip info pane is actually a pretty useful place now. Besides the multi-channel support, you're also able to do all these pre-production effects on that track before you even start working with the edit. Some of these features you've been able to do before, but it was pretty involved because it wasn't really an intentional feature. It was just you could mess around a lot and sort of find a way to do it. (laughs) Now it's very straightforward. You just select an audio file, tap the info button, and there's now a a pre-production section. You just tap on that. There's just a list of features and you just turn them on or off. At the moment, there's no additional settings because I wanted it to be as simple, as streamlined and easy to use as possible. May end up adding more fine control in future, depending on how people find it in practice once it goes beyond beta and we get a wider variety of audio files that people are trying it with. Obviously, it depends on the kind of audio that you're actually using. Mm-hmm. I mentioned before you could auto-level the output of your projects. And so the thing that's been made a lot easier is if you need to auto-level a recording beforehand, that's something that you just turn the switch and it's done. And that can be useful if you have a very quiet recording or um, one that is very variable. And that's making it difficult to edit because the preview is hard to see Mm -hmm. uh, because it'll fix it up beforehand. And that makes things easier for you in the editor. And the other thing added is noise reduction. And this is brand new, the 2.0. Yep, that's new. It's very straightforward. You just switch it on and it will try and reduce the noise. There are companies out there that specialize in noise reduction. It's pretty much all they do. So it's something that you could spend years just doing that. And this is a a more entry-level noise reduction. It's kind of designed around if you're getting started and haven't yet purchased an expensive microphone and are still using a built-in one, just making that Mm -hmm. a little bit better. Yeah, what kind of audio files does this work best with? Is it you have a fan on in the background? It's very much designed for simple constant noise like background hiss or perhaps a fan. The Mainly the hiss from the iPad or iPhone microphone that I've been focusing on. Okay. It's a learning noise reduction system, so it should be able to pick up on different kinds of noise, but they do need to be very constant. So, Like street noise would be a bad example because it's so variable. Yeah, yeah so if a, a car went past 
because that's very short and transient it's not going to pick up on that and same with say a noisy bar uh, music in the background anything like that it won't be able to help with but for more simple things it should yeah and that can be rather annoying especially in the beginning when you're learning just how to do this you know simple track noise some kind of hiss or electrical interference that happens honestly if you want the best noise quality the better that you can get the recording in the first place in terms of a better microphone and better electrical connections it's going to be a lot easier than trying to do tricks in editing that's not always possible and if the noise reduction can help well it's there now yep awesome and there's an option for boost quiet sounds is that as straightforward as it sounds, how does it work in conjunction with auto leveling? It's a modifier to the noise reduction. Essentially, it's going to try and boost the levels of the recording before noise reduction. The idea is that if you turn on noise reduction and you find that some of your speech is getting dropped out because it thinks it's noise, that may help because it'll boost those levels up and then it will hopefully realize that those are supposed to be there. <laughs> gotcha, yeah. And uh, in my testing, that, that did happen when I was, I had some really bad recordings where the levels just were really low. And uh, yeah, okay, that's good to know. In the release notes, I noticed uh, accessibility is definitely mentioned as being improved. What improvements have been made with 2.0 there? This is basically taking advantage of some of the improvements that Apple have added to accessibility. The iPhone and iPad have a very powerful system to allow people to use apps who either can't see or have physical disabilities that make it difficult for them to use the touchscreen. And this uses a system called VoiceOver or more generally UI accessibility. And this allows the developer of an app to kind of describe an interface in an alternate way that the accessibility system can then access so that it can sort of get a list of where all the buttons are. If they're just picture buttons, you know, icons, it can have alternative text labels that it can speak aloud for people who can't see them. Ferrite's always had full accessibility support, but because it's quite a complex app, it made the navigation quite complex as well. And something that Apple have added in, I forget which version of iOS, but a, a relatively recent one is something called custom rotors. This probably won't mean much to you unless you are a voiceover user yourself. Yeah. If you have voiceover enabled, it allows you to make this sort of gesture on the screen, kind of like you're turning the dial of a volume control on a, you know, an old fashioned amplifier up and down. That's what they mean by a rotor, is that sort of rotary gesture that you make with your fingers. And it allows the user to switch different modes in and out, quickly navigate between things. So how this impacts ferrite is that because each track can have many clips on it, and because the accessibility navigation works by stepping backwards and forwards between items. If you were on one track and you wanted to go to the next track and your track had, say, 100 clips on it, well, you'd have to step through every one of those 100 clips to get to the next track, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so the way that Ferrite used to work was that each track was kind of folded up, kind of like a folded directory structure, and then you had to unfold it to get to the clips. Mm -hmm. The new system is that they're always unfolded, but you can use a custom rotor to quickly skip to each track. And there's another custom rotor that allows you to change some other settings as well. But it just sort of streamlines things. It, you don't have to keep unfolding and folding things. You can just use the rotors to navigate quickly. Okay, awesome. Uh, now, something I noticed immediately when I started using 2.0 is I do chapter markers in my podcast, and there was an option to not show this chapter in the table of contents. Mm -hmm. What use case do you see that uh, being especially useful for? 
Or it's most useful because a chapter can include artwork and increasing number of players are starting to show that artwork. Overcast is the best for this. Mm -hmm. I think Castro has added chapter support, but I'm not sure it's quite up to Overcast C yet, but it's probably going to get there soon. The advantage here is just you can add changes of artwork without cluttering up the index in the at the in the podcast player. So this is useful if you're talking about products and you want to have images of the products actually on the screen of the player while somebody's listening without them having to go and follow links or just for any reason that you might want to show images but not have a, a ridiculous number of chapters in right, the yeah. index. There's been a feature in Ferrite for a while to export video. It's not really video video. It's just that a lot of social networks don't actually let you post audio. So what it would do is it would essentially just export audio, but with a nominal video track that is just a still image that would default to the Ferrite icon, but you could customize it. And that would allow you to post it to Twitter or Facebook because it would understand that it's a, a movie and it would play it back in their, their usual movie player. Yep. YouTube's a big uh, use case of this. A lot of podcasters will post their episodes there. Yeah. So with the new version, if you have chapter artwork, that will actually get used here as well so that you could have a slideshow or something like that in your exported video. And then something else in the 2.0 update is Equalizer. It's been kind of... I'm not sure if it was there before, but it's definitely been improved a great deal in this version. Uh, there was no equalizer before. There was some basic filtering stuff like a, a low pass and high pass filter, but the, the new equalizer is quite a lot beyond that. So if you're familiar with Logic's channel EQ, it's a little bit like that. First of all, it allows you to visualize the frequency bands of your audio. So if you're familiar with sort of audio graphic visualizers, it's that kind of thing where you have, a, it's essentially a series of bar charts just kind of crammed together that show the different volume of the audio at different frequency bands so that you can see if it's very bass heavy or very treble heavy or if there's little weird spikes because of some noise that's coming in on a particular frequency band it'll show all of that and then you can work to fix that or improve it however you want it's very much a matter of personal taste i suspect it's kind of like a, an eight band equalizer that you might get on a, a hardware hi-fi but more flexible because software is good like that. So you can create from one to eight, call them bands, but it's a little bit more flexible because you can change the frequency and the bandwidth as well as the amplitude and the behavior. It's really difficult to explain in voice. It's much easier to yeah. see a diagram or a, you know, a screenshot or something like that. But essentially you have a little circle that you can move around. And as you move it left or right, it affects a higher or lower frequency. And as you move it up or down, it either raises or lowers that frequency. And you can use the sort of pinch to zoom gesture to increase the width of frequencies that are sort of caught and affected by it. So you can stack up to eight of these and put them in different positions and different widths and have them increase or decrease their frequencies in their respective areas and use that to kind of sculpt the sort of frequency response of your track. The default is to sort of affect quite a wide band that you can then adjust, but you can also sort of set it into high pass or low pass or high shelf or low shelf. There's a whole bunch of different modes that you can set them each one of these individually into. It gives you a ridiculous amount of flexibility if you're really into kind of detailed mastering like that. And there's some presets in there for those that aren't quite sure where to get started with this. Yeah, yeah, there's a few presets that I hope people will find useful. And what do you see as kind of the big, uh, some of the big use cases of this refinement, like bass-heavy microphones, that kind of thing? 
Yeah, it can help with all sorts of things. Uh, as you say, bass-heavy microphones, perhaps rounding out particular frequencies that are not being picked up as strongly as others. You can sort of set it very narrow. If there's, say, some 60 hertz hum, you maybe want to try and reduce a little bit, that kind of thing. It's a very general purpose tool. You can sort of play with this endlessly and people do and argue about which settings they <laughs> feel are best because it's as i say yeah. there's quite a lot of personal taste involved it's not for everyone but if there's been quite a few people who have gone in touch and for those people they're going to be I think quite happy with it awesome and then something about ios 12 is siri shortcuts and i believe ferrite actually integrates with that yeah, it's not that sophisticated an integration because of the kind of thing that Siri shortcuts are designed for currently don't really overlap with what most of what Ferrite does. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Apple is very much seeing it as being used for things like ordering coffees where you have your favorite coffee order and it's always the same order. And then Siri notices that you're always ordering coffee at like 8.50 in the morning just before you get to work so it suggests it for you. With Ferrite how that works is that it will let Siri know when you create new episodes from a template and that is then something that you can set up as a shortcut or Siri can automatically suggest to you. So if you're always putting out a podcast on Monday morning and you're always editing it on Sunday evening then you may start to see that Siri suggests on a Sunday evening oh is it time to create a new episode of your podcast? And you go, well, yes, it is. And then it will launch Ferrite and create the new episode from the template for you. Very cool. Is there anything else about 2.0 that we haven't covered yet that you want to talk about? Well, it's had a, a minor facelift. Nothing's really moved so that you're not going to be lost if you're trying to find things. Everything's exactly where it was before. Some of the things like menus and dialog boxes that pop up have been cleaned up before it was using some of the built-in stuff and now it's using some custom stuff and i've added things like keyboard controls so a lot of the menus like the tools menu and the the menu that lets you filter which items are shown in the library and things like this you can now navigate with the keyboard if you're into that kind of thing which uh, quite a few people are they like to use the keyboard for quickly navigating around the app so that should be easier Nice. Um, and then for current customers, there's upgrade pricing if you're already on Ferrite 1 Pro. And uh, for new customers, what's the like pricing for, for the Pro version? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of the time when somebody brings out a new version of the app and it's like a completely, you know, it's version 2 or version 3 rather than version 1.1 or 1.2. It's a completely separate app and you have to buy it all over again. And that's not the case here. It will arrive just as a normal update, just like any other if you bought the Ferrite One Pro upgrade, that will continue to work. All the features you've paid for will still be there. You can continue using them and you don't have to pay for an upgrade if you don't want to. If you do want to get all of the new features like the noise reduction and the early auto leveling and templates and blah, 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 all the stuff we've been discussing today, then you can upgrade at a discount price, which it varies from region to region exactly what the discount is because developers don't actually set the exact price they set a sort of price level and then apple interpret that in different countries according to exchange rates and some mystical formulas of their own <laughs> right but it's about 50 percent off if you've already uh, purchased ferrite one if you've not purchased ferrite one and you're coming to this fresh then the full version of ferrite is about 30 dollars, or as i say some equivalent in your local currency according to apple's formulas fantastic 
Well, thank you so much, Candice, for your time. I'm loving the 2.0 update. It's been really helpful for a lot of the day-to-day production I do and really appreciate all the work you put into this. Thank you, Tim, for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad to hear you're finding it very useful. Where can people find more information about Ferrite? The best place is probably the website, which is woojijuice.com. That's W-O-O-J-I-Juice, as in fruit juice. Or you can find me on Twitter at Wooji, W-O-O-J-I, or just search in the App Store for Ferrite Recording Studio. Great. Thanks again, Cans, for your time. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast.gmail.com. If you email a voice memo, I'd be happy to include your audio in a future episode. I'm on Twitter at iPadProsPodcast. And as mentioned at the top of the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could support me over at Patreon.com slash iPadPros. Thank you for your time and attention today. Talk to everyone again real soon.